All right, take your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 1. It's a, it's a great month to start a study when we're talking about freedom because obviously today is the fourth. Happy fourth to everybody. Amen? It's, it's great that we can live in a country that gives us certain freedoms. And so when you begin to talk about freedom and our theme for this month in the book of Galatians is freedom. And when you begin to talk about freedom, you dream about freedom. You, you begin to, to, to celebrate freedom. We are celebrating that today. You read about freedom. Uh, you advocate for freedom. You hope for freedom. But often you ask the question, what does freedom mean? It can mean different things to different people. Freedom can mean having the opportunity to vote for a particular idea or for people who best represent our views. That's one aspect of freedom. Freedom of speech is another aspect. The ability to freely voice personal opinions or perspectives. It's something that is ingrained into our culture that we want to have the freedom to be able to speak and to, to share those ideas without fear of being dragged off. Freedom can also be the understanding of, of financial, in the financial context, where people seek to be free from, from financial debt, outstanding credit, burdensome loans. We seek freedom in so many different ways. In fact, I began to look at some different definitions of different dictionaries. And freedom sometimes is defined as a quality or a state of being free which I thought was interesting that they use free to define freedom because you usually try to use a different word when you define the word, right? Sometimes when I think of the word freedom, I think the ability to do whatever I want, whenever I want, you know, whatever the case, right? But that's not necessarily always the aspect of freedom. One, one uh, dictionary or idea was the absence of necessity or coercion or constraint in choice or action. Another one was the liberation from slavery or from the power of another. Another one was a boldness of execution or even the conception of an idea and then the boldness to carry it out. Another definition was it's called a political right. So I went over and I was looking at the word liberty as well. And, and it used this, and I really kind of like this in a way, because it's the positive enjoyment of very, various social, political, or economic rights and privileges. And in a way, that's what we have, right, as citizens. In Rome, Paul was in a citizen of Rome. He had certain rights and privileges as a citizen. He had certain freedoms as a citizen. And we, too, today, in America, we have certain rights and freedom and uh, as a result of being citizens. So when Paul began to write this, this letter and he begins to talk about freedom, he's really looking at this idea of freedom whereby Christ has set us free from something to something. Whereby Christ has, has delivered us from the bondage of sin and death and delivered us to freedom to live after Christ. It's a, it's a beautiful picture. In fact, the, the, ball, the uh, Galatians is very rarely challenges to the author. The author is uh, the Apostle Paul. It's very consistent with his, the language he uses and the style in which he writes fits him as being the author. Um, guided by the Holy Spirit, he wrote this in, in Antioch to the Galatian churches. 
I take a southern view. In other words, whether it was referring to an ethnic group, which would have been in the northern part, some, some people would see that and then maybe see a later date. I take a, the southern view. In other words, I believe it's a reference to the cities that were in the southern part of Galatia, like Lystrum, uh, different, different places that were, were there, churches that Paul visited, especially on his first missionary trip. And then he revisited some of those in the second missionary trip where we don't have really a record of him being in the northern part. We only see a record of him being in the southern part. And, and you say, well, Greg, why is that important? It helps us with the dating. And so when we see this book and when, when Paul wrote it, I take a very early view, probably 49 AD. This is probably the first letter that Apostle Paul wrote to any of the churches. So when you're looking in the New Testament and you're seeing this, this letter, you begin to realize, hey, this is, this is very early on in the Apostle Paul's ministry. We see that in the first chapter, in the second chapter even, where he's defending his faith, he's defending the gospel that he's preaching because there were still many that were beginning, were still challenging him very early on. In fact, if you were to go over into Acts chapter 15, uh, it's an important chapter because in Acts chapter 15, they were coming together, the, the Christian believers and the Jews, and the question was, can Gentiles be a part of the church? And you think, Greg, how could that be a discussion? Well, it was legitimate because the Jews didn't include the Gentiles. Gentiles had to go through certain rites in order to become Jewish and be able to sit in the court of the Gentiles. They weren't even allowed into some of the innermost parts of the worship and the organization of, their, the, of Judaism. And so now there was this discussion whether or not Christians or Gentiles, I'm sorry, could be part of the church. What was their role? And Acts chapter 15 addresses that. And so when we read Galatians, we begin to understand in the context or the timing of it that this is right around during that time when this was going on. So some of the message of Galatians is really important to understand some of the things that were going on that was, was attacking the gospel. When you hear Paul talk about the gospel being distorted and them deserting the gospel, these are some of the things that he was addressing and dealing with, and he's wanting them to understand the freedom that they have in the gospel. You know, I, I totally get it because there's times where I, 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 I oh man, did God, does, does your people understand the freedom that we have in the gospel? And then I go, Lord, do I understand the freedom that is mine in the gospel? So I can understand how important that this was to the Apostle Paul as he began to address it. In fact, through this book, through the book of Galatians, 11 times he uses the word freedom. It's a major theme if you're going to understand this book when you begin to look at this letter. And he uses 11 times, and there's basically three things in which Paul kind of describes when he begins to talk about our freedom. First is he, he talks about that Jesus has freed the believer from the bondage to the law. You can see that in chapter 2, verse 19. In fact, um, Matt will probably be dealing with that a little bit next week. He's actually a little, in a little different spot than that verse, but he's going to be talking a little bit about that aspect where we've been set free from the bondage of the law. What does that mean? Because if I have to keep the law and I break the law, I now stand in penalty of breaking that law, haven't, don't I? And the reality is, can I ever keep the law? No, 
Not unless I do like they did in Judaism where they redirected their standards and, and so that if you did certain things and you, you followed through with these different traditions, you could get to a place where they called you righteous, but it wasn't a righteousness of God. And the, the idea of understanding that I could never attain righteousness through the law and Paul's writing to these believers that the gospel he gave to them it set them free from the bondage of the law. The second thing was found in chapter 5 and verse 13, where Jesus had freed the believer from the bondage to sin. How do I know that? Because in the wording of chapter 5, I believe it's verse 13, where he says, do not use your freedom to what? As a license to sin. In other words, if you start going, well, well, God forgave me and it doesn't matter. So if I sin, I sin. It doesn't really matter. Well, you know what? You're using your freedom for license, and Paul warns against doing that. That is not a biblical concept, dear people of God. I know it's, I know it's popular today, like we want to try to justify everything, right, and not call things sin. We're living in a time where we're seeing what is wrong being called right and what is right being called wrong, and things are getting a little bit confusing, but the scriptures are clear unless you change them. And Paul says, don't use your freedom. Don't use what Christ did in the work for the gospel, what he did for you in setting you free. Don't use that freedom for unrighteousness. Because all you're going to do is put your back, yourself back into slavery again. And then he says, he teaches in this idea of freedom that it's also a freedom to produce the fruits of righteousness. In all of chapter five, there's several different passages there where he draws out this description that where we have been set free, not, not to live as we please, but to live as which we've been created for, to produce righteousness, to have an intimate relationship with our God, to, to, to walk after him and experience the blessings in which we have been created for, to produce righteousness and the fruits of it. You see, Paul declares to the Galatian believers, as we did in our little video, that for freedom, I like the way it's worded, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Think about that. For freedom, Christ has set you free. And he's just got through talking, and we'll look at that in chapter four. I'll actually be dealing with that chapter. He just talked about the bond woman, where the woman of bondage and, and the woman, the free woman. And he's trying to describe to them and explain to them how one leads to bondage and one leads to freedom. And that we have been set free and that because we've been set free, we are to stand therefore in that freedom and not to entangle ourselves again back to that yoke of slavery, that, that yoke, that apparatus that would guide those, those oxen and direct them to where they wanted them to go. And the, and the Jewish leaders would often refer to the law as the yoke of the law, that, that the law would guide them and lead them to righteousness. And Paul says, hey, if you give up your freedom and everything in which Christ has accomplished for you, if you give that up and you return back to the law, you're returning back to a yoke of slavery. Because the law, in as righteous as it is and as good as it is, and everything in which God has given to us in the law as it exposes our unrighteousness was to lead us to Christ, whereby freedom would come to us. 
The law wasn't a sufficient in and of itself to bring about righteousness, but it was to declare what righteous is. I often use the illustration of if I broke my arm and I go to the doctor, he does an x-ray and it shows that my arm's broken, but the x-ray doesn't fix it, does it? I go to the doctor and the doctor sets it and he fixes it. It's the same picture. The law exposes the brokenness. It exposes the unrighteousness. It exposes those things in which we come short. That's why in the scriptures it says that where the law is, sin began to grow. It increased because it shows where the sin is. It shows the brokenness. It shows the necessity for a redeemer. And we go to Christ and Christ fixes that. Christ provides redemption through faith. Christ redeems us, he sets us free, he regenerates us, he gives us new life, and he reconciles us with our creator. And that's where life begins. So many times when we look in this world and we see this world and all the chaos and the difficulty and the shortcomings of this world, it's because we're so focused on this world instead of the redemption that is ours in Christ Jesus in the gospel that he's given to us. And Paul talks about that freedom. Paul warns that those who are saved by the grace of God, but then deny the power of his grace and plunge back again into that for which Christ is, the work of Christ has done has delivered them. He warns against that. I would understand Paul understanding the importance of the freedom that is ours in the gospel because he understood the total emptiness of seeking righteousness under the law. Describing Paul in Philippians chapter three, Paul said, hey, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to righteousness, which is in the law, I was found blameless because he kept all of those things. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. You read about him in the last part of Acts chapter 7, verses 54 to the first part of chapter 8, verse 3, where they're stoning Stephen. And it says that they laid their coats down at this young man. His man this man's name was Saul. And he gave full, full accord and, 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 uh, and, and allowed them to do this. In verse 3, it said, Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This was Paul. His zeal, he, he did it wholeheartedly because he thought in it was righteousness. In verse 1 of chapter 9, it says that Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And then in the following context, you see him on the, on the road to Damascus and you see his conversion take place. And his eyes are open. And later in the chapter, in verse 31, it says, so the church throughout all Judea, think about this, all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace. Because now Paul came to Christ. And the believers were encouraged and praising God. Paul went from killing Christians to preaching Jesus. He went from seeking righteousness through the law to trusting Christ alone. How did this happen? This radically unique good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ changed everything. It gave him peace with his God. It gave him rest from his striving for righteousness. 
It was this gospel that Paul came to Galatians believers and said, here is the good news. It was this gospel that he preached. And so when he says to, him, to them, I am astonished, understand the intensity in which Paul is writing this because the gospel was so radical to him. It changed everything in his life. It's this gospel, this radically unique gospel that Paul preached to these believers that impacted his life and changed everything there was about his life. He was going this way and now he went this away because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He went and was confident and sure to the point of dragging people out of their homes. He was confident about his righteousness. He was confident about his, his zeal for God. And then he hears the gospel and everything changes. It was this gospel that he preached. When he says in chapter one, verses six through eight, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. I just want to stop there for a minute. He was astonished. I totally get this idea that he was astonished. And when he says a different gospel, we're distorting a different gospel. He's really in this, in this context, he's talking about Judaizers. Who are Judaizers? They were people who came along and they would often follow the apostles, but they followed the apostle Paul especially. And they would follow them. So when Paul would go and he'd preach into a town and they would come to Christ and he moved to another town, they would come in behind him trying to straighten out all of the, uh, the untruths that Paul preached. They would come and they would often come saying that they had the authority of the Jewish leaders, which was like James and John, and, I mean, sorry, James and uh, Peter. And so they came in that authority. So these new believers would think, oh, they have that authority. Paul's new. And they would begin to try to obey these things that they were teaching. Because what they believed is they believed that they had to come, be circumcised according to the law of Moses in order to be saved. In other words, they had to become a Jew before they could be saved. And Paul was astonished that they so quickly had moved from the gospel that he had preached and had deserted it for a different gospel. They claimed in that the, the authority of the Jewish leaders, and this is why Acts chapter 15 was so important about believers and whether Gentiles could be part of the church or not because it was there that they determined. You remember Peter? Remember his dream and he's supposed to eat this, un, this, this unclean animals, these unclean meat? And he wouldn't, he didn't want to do it and then he ends up there and he sees the, the uh, Gentile believer come and he sees the Holy Spirit fall on them just like they did the Jewish people in the beginning in Acts 2. And so he tells that in Acts 15. And so they come to a place where they say, Yes, Gentile believers are, too, uh, are, are part of the church as well. It was such an important movement of what was going on at the time. And so now, now these believers are going around and they're teaching them. They're teaching them to abandon their, their faith and to add on to them the Jewish traditions. You see, if a Jew were to look to the law as a means to secure the favor of God then their faith was not in Jesus and his completed work on the cross. If a Gentile were to require to practice the law, 
than the means of salvation and, and Christian living became a human effort rather than faith in God. Now think about it for a moment. Jesus and Paul still lived their Jewish faith, didn't they? Except in the areas where it conflicted with the gospel. It wasn't that there was a problem with the law. It was looking to the law to, under, to see it as a means of salvation. It was really important as they continued on. So Paul, astonished by them seeking after and deserting the gospel and going for a different gospel. But Paul lays out as well the power of this gospel, that it was founded on God's grace. In verse six, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. Look what it says, who called you in the grace of Christ. When you look at the gospel, at the very foundation of the gospel is grace. Unmerited favor, however you want to define, but it's the goodness of God whereby he has redeemed us. Not because of anything you did, I do not stand here today and somehow I'm gonna be a little bit further up the line because I preach and you don't. I stand here in the grace of the mercy of my God, just like you. It's the grace of God. There's some really neat things when you begin to talk about grace because you see it's overwhelming beauty. It says in Luke chapter four, verse 22, referring to Jesus, it says, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? They realized there was a uniqueness in the grace. When people see Christ in your life, they see the grace of God in your life. There's people that I, when I go back home and I visit who knew me in my days before I really knew Christ, it's always funny because they don't see, they have a hard time seeing me in my faith now. They still want to see me like I used to be. And as they talk to me, they go, wow, there's a change. Why? Because of the gospel, because of the grace of Christ. There's an overwhelming beauty. There's an undeserved favor. I always love Ephesians 1, 6 and 7. It says, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the, in the beloved or blessed us in Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace according to the riches of his grace, that Christ did these things according to his riches, not because we made a barter with him, not because we promised that if God would deliver us, we would do this and this and therefore we would receive, but it was undeserved favor. It was the riches of his grace and it was unconditional in its acceptance. Romans 5.20, now the law came in to increase the trespass. Where the law is, trespass increases. For where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. I'm sorry, dear people of God, there is nothing you can do that can extend yourself past the grace of our God. There is forgiveness. There is redemption. There is regeneration. There is reconciliation. There is restoration. Why? Because of the grace of our God. It's unending. It's unconditional. You are welcome. If you're here this morning and you think somehow you're not able to be present in the, present in the, in the presence of God, then that's a lie of our adversary. The person who thinks that I would go to church but I feel like the roof would fall in as if God is only here. He's not. He's everywhere. And God is calling you He's calling you to himself. 
through his grace. And today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. It's unlimited strength. It says in 2 Timothy 2.1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You might have came in the doors today and you're weakened. I'll tell you what, yesterday was not a great day for me. I was, had a faucet linking on the shower. And so being the guy that I am, I fixed most of my own stuff. And so when I got a hold of it, they didn't brace the copper pipes to a, to a stud behind it. So when I went to turn it, you know what copper does, right? It's very bendable. And so now I've got water leaking down through the wall, right? And so I had to shut off the water to the house because there's no little shut off like under your sink. They don't have those in showers. So I had to shut off the water to the house and went through this whole deal. So now I'm tearing out tile to get to it so I can get it all fixed and put it back together. But last night I didn't have water. This morning I didn't have water. So if people are staying three feet away from me, I understand. Okay, this day, no, I'm just kidding. Wasn't that great? This morning I was prepping and I was in my office and I was pulling up my notes and it was all blank. It was just blank. And I'm like, okay, Lord, whatever you want to do today, it's fine, right? It was just blank. So I shut it, shut it down and started it back up and here they come again. But my strength is in his grace. My strength is in his grace. That's where our strength is. It's not in these notes. Yes, I depend on them and I rely on them. They're probably more of a security blanket than anything sometimes for me. But my strength is his grace. I don't know what you're going through today. But the gospel that is based on the grace of our God is our strength. And dear people of God, in a day where we're being challenged and stretched and pushed like we never have before, we need to be a people that is standing firm in the grace of our God and the strength that God has given us. Amen? That's right. It's truth. Unrestrained gratitude. This is something that I think we lose out on. We kind of get into life and everything starts happening and we forget to be thankful. It says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving, thankfulness in your hearts to God, that we be thankful to him. You see, we can never reach the bottom of God's grace. We can never reach the extents of his gospel that is un, to a place where it's unable to change who we are, where it's unable to establish us and to keep us in a world that seems to be constantly turning and changing around us. But there's a firm foundation in the gospel of Jesus Christ that we stand there, there alone. And to preach anything else, to preach any other message, only brings a stern warning. That's what Paul does in verses eight and nine. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And he, if you're not sure that you got it there, he says it again, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let him be accursed. It's a, the word accursed has the idea to be delivered over to divine wrath and, and destruction or for destruction. 
There's a consequence. That's why I think anytime someone stands up and they teach God's word and they preach God's word, it should be a holy moment. It's why I pray, I pray, God, man, it's, you'll see me wandering around. You, you know why I wander around right before I preach? Because I'm just saying, God, if you don't show up, if you don't speak, guard my heart, guard it. Guard it lest sin enters in. Guard it because your people are precious to you, oh God. Guard it because, God, you have something to say to your people and let me not be the one that stands in the way of you speaking to your people. You see, we are his people. And if I preach anything else, then I am delivered over to destruction to God. I deal with him. It's not you, it's him that I deal with. And so I bend my knee before him. I humble myself before him and I beg him to speak to us as people that we might walk in the light of the truth. I'm, I'm, I'm a person just like you. I am a person just like you. Growing in God's grace, learning from him to follow after Jesus. He uses this, these terms to show us the seriousness of the purpose in which we guard the gospel of Christ. We live in a day where people are distorting the gospel. We're living in a time. We're living in a time where people are walking away from Christianity and they name all kinds of reasons. I'm amazed at the number of people who've made judgments on God and his word who haven't even read it. They've read a book, but they haven't read the word. And dear people of God, we have to understand the seriousness of this truth. We cannot be like the Judaizers either, where we try to conform people to what we think a Christian looks like. We need to understand the power of the gospel and how it transforms. I praise God that that church did not push me out when I came to Christ because I did not fit that church. Every one of those kids in that youth group were afraid of me and they had good reason to be. But my heart was being moved and they saw that. They loved me. They cared for me. They accepted me, though I did not fit that environment. I can remember one of them inviting me over to their family for dinner. I never really sat around and had dinner with a family before, let alone with a Christian family. And I remember they put the food down. I mean, I started pouring it on my plate and, and they said, Greg, we like to pray before we eat. Well, oh, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> Never thought of it. They were so gracious to me. They taught me the things of God and embraced the truth of God. They could have so quickly pushed me out. They could have so quickly rejected me when I said words that weren't appropriate in church when I acted in a way that wasn't appropriate. They could have so much have excluded me and rejected me, but they embraced me. And because of it today, I stand here in the grace of God with the privilege of preaching his word. You see, dear people of God, we can't be like the Judaizers either, can we? We have a message, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the answer for our world today. It's the answer for our communities. It's the answer for our, our, our town. It's the answer for our homes, our families, our friends, our coworkers. It is the answer. Jesus 
is the answer for the world today, is he not? And we, as God's people, take that message of reconciliation we talked about. You see, this message, this gospel Paul preached was not a message that was tainted by human design either. Verses 11 and 12, let me hit it real quick. He says, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. He didn't receive it from anyone. He wasn't taught it by anyone. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. I received it through a revelation that Christ revealed this gospel to me. If you look in verse 10, there's an interesting word there. It says, not man's gospel. That word not literally means according to or in conformity to. It has the idea to dominate or control. And what Paul is saying is the gospel is not of human origin. It's not measured by human standards or rules. It's not according to any human influence. Paul doesn't try to conform the gospel to any human ideas, standard rules or influence. He preaches the gospel that was delivered to him. And he's surprised that the Galatians were now deserting that gospel. And they were choosing a different gospel, not really another one, but they were choosing a different message that added works to their salvation, that added these traditions to their belief. And he says, if you do that, you're just going to get back into that yoke of slavery. He says, I received it from the Lord. The gospel that Paul is preaching did not find its origin in the ways of humanity, but from Christ, from Jesus So why are you deserting the gospel? Why? You see, it's radically unique in its message. There's not another message like it. And even though some distort it, it is founded on God's grace. And its uniqueness is not tainted by humanity. It's not tainted by people. It is the truth of God that we rest our lives and our our walks in. Amen? This is the gospel. I am so excited about this month. I'm looking forward to hearing Matt next week and Jared in a couple weeks. They are going to bring to you God's truth. I encourage you to listen just as you've always given me respect and listening. I pray that you hear what God says through these men. And I pray that you encourage them for they need encouragement They need our support as they continue to seek after God and walk after him. I pray that you would do that. I'm looking forward to hearing what God has to say to us the rest of this month. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you, Father, for your truth. We thank you for the gospel that it is, Father, radically unique, that there is not another message like it. There's not anyone else, Father, to whom we would pursue or find righteousness. It's in you alone. Father, there's there's nowhere else to go. We live in a world that's telling us all kinds of things. Father, with the internet and the availability of information and all these things, sometimes we, we read things and we just think it's true without going back to the scriptures to confirm. Father God, be with us that we might be strengthened by your grace. That, Father, we would understand that this gospel, this gospel that we preach, that Jesus himself, he is our deliverer. 
that you demonstrated your love towards us, even then when we were unrighteous, when we were rejecting you, when we were enemies of the cross, when we were, Father, running away from you, Christ came and he died on a cross, demonstrating your love towards us, calling us to yourself. Father, may there be some here this morning who maybe have never responded, Father, to your calling. May your spirit move through their hearts this morning. May today be the day that they would respond to the grace of, that you've given through your son, Jesus Christ, and they would come to know the goodness that you have for us in your son. Father, maybe some came in this morning, were listening online this morning, Father, that they find themselves discouraged in their walks, discouraged in the ways in which they're going. And Father, may they have been lifted up to know that this gospel, your good news, your message is our strength. It's unending, Father. It doesn't, doesn't matter the course we've taken, the road we've taken. Father, your grace is sufficient and it is able. Strengthen your people, dear God for your glory and your purposes that we might walk in all of our ways after you. In Jesus' name, amen.